again. Today, I'm very fortunate to be joined by Dr. Michael Fingerhood, Associate Professor of Medicine and Public Health at John Hopkins University. Dr. Fingerhood will talk to us about addiction in the elderly population. Thank you, Dr. Fingerhood, for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Great. Let's get started. So, how common are substance use disorders in people 65 and older? Yeah, so... It's interesting that, that a lot of the literature you asked specifically about 65, and it's unclear what older is. So frequently we say older adults. I wrote a piece in the New England Journal Review that was that by their choice was used to sort of as an older adults, and it was somewhat ambiguous as a result. But we could, for the sake of your question, regard it as people over the age of 65. There is still not the best studies looking at individuals over the age of 65, other than perhaps some reasonable data for alcohol. So for alcohol disorders, interesting to look at because the fact that there are people who are over the age of 65 who have new onset uh, substance disorder related to alcohol, and, and often that's related to retirement or losing a spouse. So that's one of the reasons why we encouraged uh, individuals even over the age of 65 to be asked questions related to their alcohol use. Hmm. For other substances, it's not as clear. For instance, if you want to know with the epidemic of opioid overdose, the prevalence, there there are household studies that look at it. For for instance, for alcohol, the estimates are are usually between 5 and 10% have criteria for alcohol use disorder. And it's less than that for opioid use disorder, although it's tougher because there are Older adults are also prescribed opioids, and perhaps some of those who are being prescribed have a substance disorder as well. The other area which is of interest currently is related to cannabis or marijuana, as there's a information that sometimes isn't always accurate that cannabis might be a useful alternative in older adults for both pain and for mood disorder. And there are reports of worsening of some symptoms in older adults with sensitivity to cannabis. But without a doubt, there are some initial reports showing increased percent, again, low, less than 5% of people over the age of 65 using cannabis regularly. Although those those numbers are going to be increasing, especially in states where there's not only the so-called cannabis dispensary for people who have, uh, quote, medical indication, but as well as in states where uh, recreational use is allowed. For other substances like cocaine, the prevalence is pretty low. Okay. So how are older adults affected differently by drugs and alcohol compared to their younger peers? So the most immediate is that older adults are more sensitive. I'll take it by substance as well. And also put in the background that older adults are more likely to be on medications. So for all uh, substance use disorders, that the substance is more likely to have an interaction with a medication that an older adult is on. So for instance, if an older adult is already on a medication that that causes drowsiness, uh, for instance, that will be enhanced. And in older adults, especially who have a risk for falling, we worry about substances increasing risk for falling especially. Mm. And that's true for any of the sedatives, including alcohol uh, and benzodiazepines. So the, the main differences in terms of risk are related to medication interactions, as well as sensitivity. It's also true that elder adults have less ability to tolerate alcohol levels, so they're at higher risk to fall at the same alcohol level. So that's a concern as well. But mostly falling and sedation 
and things like impaired driving, for instance, as well, but impairment will happen at lower levels. So you alluded to this earlier, I believe, but why are older individuals at risk for substance misuse? And are there any specific risk factors for the development of a substance use disorder in the elderly? Yes. So I'll put in the background, you may cover this later, is that uh, there are specific risks related to how we discern that someone has a substance use disorder. For instance, over age of 65, the majority of individuals are no longer working, so there's no concern of job performance. Some of those individuals, even though I said that they might be at risk related to driving, are no longer driving. And finally, there's a significant number of older adults who live alone. So there's not necessarily someone who will know about their, especially their drinking. The, the other impact, which uh, is important to think about in 2021, is how COVID has impacted and uh, COVID has made isolation even worse. I could think of one specific example of a patient of mine in her early 80s who used to be very active going to the senior center, participating in yoga and a variety of activities. And uh, with the onset of COVID and the closing of senior centers, was staying home. Uh, unfortunately, one of the essential services that has happened during uh, COVID has been delivery of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are many places that... Uh, for over a year, although it's somewhat more not present in most places, allowed for delivery of alcohol. I didn't even know this until I was doing actually a telemedicine visit with her, this one specific patient, and I asked her about how are you coping with COVID because I knew that she could no longer go to the senior center, and she gave me the response, I use Black Beauty, and I actually did not know what Black Beauty was, but Black Beauty is a, is a liqueur, oh. and she was having it delivered. It's high... It's about 80, you know, it's a serum-proof alcohol. And she was having a third to a half bottle daily until she fell asleep. And that just brings to another mention uh, is that you'll see older adults, for instance, use alcohol to help fall asleep. But in her instance, she was using it to cope with loneliness. So loneliness among older adults makes them more vulnerable for uh, effects and for the use of especially alcohol, which is the most predominant substance that we worry about in older adults. Thanks. So what makes diagnosing addiction in the elderly so challenging? So I I think we have to take it from both sides. I think I'm going to take it first from the provider side, is that I think providers don't think about it. They don't rescreen. They may have known someone for a long time and they make assumptions. I think sometimes that, especially for a younger provider, it may seem like they're asking their grandparents about alcohol or drug use, and it seems outside the comfort zone because there's ageism bias Mm -hmm. that uh, this 75-year-old couldn't be drinking alcohol to excess or couldn't be using cocaine or couldn't be misusing their pain medications. So there's almost the reverse of what you would think of ageism where there's an assumption that that couldn't happen to someone who's older. So that's on one side. Then the other side, I think, is that for older adults, the diagnosis or the use that they may be aware of brings shame. So they're not going to volunteer because there's some shame associated with it. Very frequently, as we I've had the discussion with older adults, there's a moment of tearfulness because the shame can be overwhelming. And uh, the shame then builds into poor self-esteem and self-perpetuates continued use. So family support is really crucial. Mm. Occasionally, I find out about it because a family member contacts me. Uh, I'll just share. I'm I'm good at anecdotes. 
few years ago, there was actually a parent of a, a physician who was in the emergency department with having passed out, and someone noticed that there was alcohol on her breath. And uh, she was in her 80s, and she lived alone. But interestingly enough, she was tearful as she talked to her son, who was a physician. Mm. He went to her home, and she had hidden miniatures of Kahlua throughout her apartment. Mm. And she lived alone, but yet she didn't. She bought miniatures, thinking that maybe she was able to create some rules for her drinking rather than buying a large bottle. But also interesting that she hid them, and nobody else was there to, that she needed to hide them from. But there was some symbolism of her hiding them from herself, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So there's just some insight. So patients aren't going to be as revealing because of shame. And then providers, in general, providers aren't great at screening for substance disorders, but I think they're especially poor in, in those over age of 65. Yeah. So kind of actually going along with what you just said, um, can we screen for substance misuse in the elderly? So the answer is yes. You have to just make it part of your team. And you have to ask for it in a matter-of-fact way. Uh, much as I usually ask my older patients who are older adults, tell me about a typical day. You know, how do you spend your day? How do you spend your time? I usually ask pretty specifically, like, if you read, what kind of books do you like? If you watch TV, what do you like to watch? And then from that, I then delve into their diet and their use of alcohol and other substances. If you ask in a matter-of-fact way, you'll find people reveal things that might seem shocking. For example, I asked that question to a new patient about a few years ago who was in his mid-70s, and he revealed that on Friday nights he liked to play Pinochle, a card game. And I said, so what's, what's that like? Do you get together with friends? He goes, yeah, we get together with friends, and often we smoke some crack cocaine. Mm. And uh, right, I didn't ask him, but by just discussing what, what do you do, how do you get together with friends, what's fun, he revealed to me because I was not being judgmental. I was just trying to delve. And then we had a discussion that... that we certainly put cultural norms of what we perceive, right? So all, all of us, for right or wrong, from an early age have seen commercials that say that, for instance, that the way you unwind is with alcohol, right? That yeah. happy hour means that you use alcohol to cope with stress. And uh, in this instance, he did not view his use of cocaine to unwind with some friends on a Friday night any different than someone might view, you know, ending the the work week by going to have some drinks at happy hour. Now, for him, there was other risks because of the cocaine itself, and he had hypertension and other things. But uh, for many individuals, the risks of alcohol are, are similar. Um, but yet, you know, obviously, alcohol is the legal drug. I also want to point out, even though it's a slightly off topic, that we still don't talk enough about alcohol. Older adults, we do, I think. But overall, even as we face an opioid overdose epidemic, more people die each year from alcohol than they do from opioids. Yeah. Is the treatment for substance use disorders in the elderly different from that of younger populations? So I, I'm going to make it somewhat uh, specific to substance used. So I'm going to say for alcohol, it's really delving. And I'd say the majority of my patients who are over age of 65 who have alcohol use disorder, it's because of isolation and loneliness. And that really is what I aim to change. And that was very difficult during COVID. Even the example I gave you of the physician mom who was drinking. So, so she wound up going to a senior center, being more involved with family, family checked on her more, that, that it's very frequently, it's different. Now, I didn't give you specific data. So if you look at alcohol use disorder over the age of 65, Two-thirds had alcohol use disorder from an early age and made it to an older age. 
but one third it's new alcohol use disorder that developed uh, after the age of 60 or 65. It's those later onset that the treatment really is what I just mentioned, socialization, undoing loneliness, things like that. The people who had it early onset, those are the people that we treat more similarly to individuals when they were younger, and perhaps even think about medications for alcohol use disorder. So, th- so there's different, uh, I think there's different subsets and ways of thinking about uh, older adults. I should also mention there's a gender difference. So if you look at people in their 30s, uh, with alcohol use disorder, it's two-thirds men, one-third women. In some populations probably even more dominant men than women. If you look at older adults, it's more even in some cohort studies because there are more older women than older men. That the percent of people with late-onset alcohol use disorders, in some studies, is even 60% are women. So something to think about. as, And it means that we should especially be aware for older adults who live alone. Hmm. And finally... What strategies can healthcare workers and families use to help prevent substance misuse in the elderly? I think that's a great question. And I I say I I probably don't do a good enough job in that we should be proactive and that as we see someone, I I, I do it some, and I think about it myself too, which is why I say I'm probably, I don't have any retirement plans in the (laughs) foreseeable future, is that what are you going to do when you retire so that you could have a discussion, because I think there is a fear of not knowing how to fill your day and being a bit lost. And uh, it should be a discussion of how, what are you going to do with your time when you retire, especially true now when even travel is so limited because of COVID. And then anybody who's having bereavement issues, it has to be a part of the discussion. It has to come to the surface to specifically ask about how people are coping with the loss of a spouse, a loved one. And bereavement, uh, unfortunately, I think culturally we see alcohol as part of bereavement as well. There, there are mm-hmm. some cultures where, you know, uh, that, for instance, after a funeral, that there's a wake and everybody drinks. And obviously not healthy, not a proper way to honor someone who, uh, a family member who, who has been lost. So, so I think it's really useful at those moments in advance of development of a use disorder to see if there's risk, and to discuss that risk. I'm concerned about you. Even say, perhaps, and delve into the fact that I know many people who unfortunately have turned to alcohol, for instance, to cope with the loss of a loved one, and you feel vulnerable. You know, people have vulnerable moments, and even people who might say that could never be me, it turns out to be them, unfortunately. Yeah. I want to thank you again, Dr. Fingerhood, for taking the time to share your expertise, and it would be great to have you back again soon. You're welcome. Thank you. 